Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletop from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Orlando is Andrew Walker. Andrew is U.S. Tennis Association's Director of Education and Training for Officiating and the Chief Umpire at the U.S. Open. First, Andrew, thanks for talking to us today. No, thanks for having me. My pleasure. And, and actually, I should say uh, thanks for talking with us again. Uh, you spoke recently at our Sports Compliance and Ethics Conference. And well, there you shared something really interesting that I wanted to follow up with that I don't think many people would know about tennis, that at the entry levels uh, for tennis, sort of the lower levels when people are starting out, there isn't always an umpire for each match. The players have to do the work themselves. Can you explain more how that works? Yeah, so in tennis, um, you know, the USTA is the national governing body of tennis. Uh, you know, we sanction upwards of you know, 13,000 uh, or more events every year, um, which range from you know, juniors, adults, um, all different ability levels um, at different levels of competition. And the vast majority of matches um, in USTA competition are considered um, technically unofficiated because they're officiated by roving umpires. And a roving umpire is somebody who is available to the players, um, who you know is going to court to court, um, you know, dealing with issues, handling problems, helping the players, educating the players, but ultimately they're not necessarily on that court making every call. Um, you know, a very small percentage of our matches each year um, are conducted with a chair umpire uh, who might be making all the calls. Um, or taking on a lot of that responsibility. So for us, um, the players are actually responsible for not only making certain calls, but making certain calls on themselves. Well, it totally surprised me. Um, you know, I, I realize not everything is the U.S. Open, but that you know, say at a state level tournament, that there might not be umpires for every match was just surprising to me. Now, is there a program in which players are taught how to be their own umpires fairly, or is it assumed that by the time they reach this level, they already know what the rules are? You know, I think that's that's part of something that becomes the role of the official is at those entry level events, especially with kids, um, you know, we're not just officials, we're, we're educators as well. And so, you know, I think everybody kind of relies on individual coaches and parents and things to educate the children on that. But really, when it comes into the competition moment um, or the moment of competition, it's really the officials who are working with those newer players and things. And, and frankly, you know, roving happens at even the highest levels of our junior competition, um, say up to a certain point. Um, so it might be the quarterfinals on have a chair umpire, but anything leading up to that uh, is roved. So you've got, um, you know, even at the college level, a lot of even some you know, D1 college play um, doesn't necessarily have a chair umpire. It totally depends on the conference and things like that. And the low end uh, entry points, the starting point for a professional player in the qualifying rounds of, say, a $15,000 event, um, you know, those same thing, players are making calls. Um, there's different initiatives around sportsmanship. Um, there's not necessarily a specific program that players go through, um, but I think a lot of it ends up happening on the court and um, through the officials as educators um, 
for integrity and, and the rules of the sport. Now, imagine that this system is a powerful tool for promoting integrity within the game. Is it used that way? Or are there other efforts by the USDA to promote integrity? Yeah, there's there's a lot that we're doing around sportsmanship. And I think with every youth sport um, out there right now or you know, any recreational sport, you know, you're seeing those ultra competitive environments or you're seeing those um, you know, questions to officials and things. And for us, you know, it it's really ingraining that level of of integrity and respect for your opponent and respect for the game um, into um, everything we do. So I think for us, um, you know, there's there's definitely some new sportsmanship initiatives coming through because I think sportsmanship kind of goes different direction. You you got your sportsmanship about being a good winner, being a good loser, being um, you know respectful. But then sportsmanship almost takes its a different turn in this environment when players are then having to possibly make calls on themselves or um, uh, concede points uh, and you know, really be honest with with their opponent and themselves uh, in various situations. Yeah, and it's not something you see. I mean, in baseball, you don't see pitchers and batters calling balls and strikes. In football, you don't see them calling pass interference. Otherwise, they would call everything pass interference. It's, it's very different. And I, I can see how it's a great tool for helping people understanding that winning isn't just about scoring points. It's doing it the right way. Now, I, I'm guessing that despite training and everything else, people being people, there are periodic disputes between the players. Are they frequent or rare? And how do they get resolved? You know, I think that... Um... A lot depends on the level of competition, and I think there's a difference between a dispute over, you know, an intentional action or breach versus, um, you know, maybe a, a young a young child playing their first event, and they're still just trying to learn. Um, so I, you know, look, they happen absolutely. Um, I'd say for us, the biggest things that happen are disputes over line calls and disputes. Um, overscoring, you know, I said the score is 30-15, my opponent says it's 15-30, you know, who's right, how do you resolve that? And so what the roving umpires do is, um, you know, they go generally, you know, I think we kind of prefer a ratio of maybe one roving umpire to every three to four courts or so, um, sometimes at the lower levels of competition, uh, that's not the case, maybe someone's responsible for more courts than that. Um, but those roving umpires are there. You know, they're either going net post to net post as they go across a bank of courts, um, or they're very near the court where the players can simply stop, you know, raise their racket up and signal that they need some help. Um, but, you know, I'd say line calls, disagreements on line calls and scoring are probably the two most common. Um, and they're not always malicious either. You know, frankly, you get into that, um, that, intensity of a match and you've got a player who um, maybe they're at that moment what's in their heart and what's in their eyes don't maybe match up um, you know the moments can get to players uh, sometimes it's just learning you know you've got it like I said a young player running to a ball and you know as they're running their head is bouncing up and down and they're for sure that they see something out and they call it out 
when in actuality, maybe they just didn't see it correctly. Um, you know, so that's why those umpires are there to help, um, to educate and, and to work with the players through any disputes that do occur. Then they might stay on that court for certain period of time to make sure play can continue, you know, fairly um, and um, keep the match going. Now, what happens, though, if a player starts developing a tendency to see things their way repeatedly and, and not accurately? How does that get handled? Does the umpire just end up staying at that match indefinitely? Is there some scoring penalty or, or what? Yeah, so when we get into a point of, um, you know, kind of two different things there, if we get into a, a situation of, say, excessive overrules, um, and there's some different ways to define what excessive means, um, the USTA has a certain level that we guide our umpires uh, and officials to. Um, some of our sections, which are subdivisions kind of of the national governing body, but you know, their own independent groups that are sanctioning uh, tournaments, they might have a few different rules and might say, look, every, um, you know, every overrule after the second one, now we're into code of conduct penalties, which would be a point penalty for the first one. Um, a game for the second one, and ultimately a default for the third one. That, again, is, and that's something that's done in certain areas. Uh, it's not necessarily a national policy, but the national policy, if we get to that excessive point, um, you do go into the code of conduct and start um, penalizing in that way. Also, anytime you're overruled by an official, um, you, you do lose that point in USTA play. It's not like you get to kind of roll the dice and hope it, well, I got overruled. The worst thing that's going to happen is we replay the point. Now, in USTA at least, um, yeah, that player will lose the point uh, on any given overrule. Uh, other things, you know, sometimes it's just, look, you know, a ball is, uh, you know, you're running to a ball and it bounces twice. You know, you got to call that on yourself, but maybe you didn't have the best feel and look for it. So, so like I said, not everything is malicious, um, but you know, if there are situations that warrant action, that's definitely taken. Well, and, and I think you make a good point there is that not every time somebody does something wrong, either in tennis or anywhere else in, in work, does it necessarily reflect uh, a bad thing. So, or, or a bad intention, sometimes it is accidental. Well, Andrew, thank you for sharing these insights with us. I think uh, all of us have seen tennis at one point or another, and it's really interesting to learn how things start for a, an athlete's career and how the officiating uh, is sort of built into them. Uh, I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletow from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective. <laughs>